Book One, Chapter One of Les Miserables, translated by Isabel F. Hapgood. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sarah Jennings. Les Miserables by Victor Hugo. Book One, A Just Man. Chapter One, Monsieur Muriel. In 1815. Monsieur Charles Francois Bienvenu Muriel was Bishop of Digne. He was an old man of about seventy five years of age. He had occupied the See of Digne since eighteen o six. Although this detail has no connection whatever with the real substance of what we are about to relate, it will not be superfluous, if merely for the sake of exactness in all points, to mention here the various rumours and remarks which had been in circulation about him from the very moment when he arrived in the diocese. True or false, that which is said of men often occupies as important a place in their lives, and above all in their destinies, as that which they do. Monsieur Muriel was the son of a councillor of the Parliament of Aix. Hence he belonged to the nobility of the bar. It was said that his father, destining him to be heir of his own post, had married him at a very early age, eighteen or twenty, in accordance with a custom which is rather widely prevalent in parliamentary families. In spite of this marriage, however, it was said that Charles Muriel created a great deal of talk. He was well formed, though rather short in stature, elegant, graceful, intelligent. The whole of the first portion of his life had been devoted to the world and to gallantry. The revolution came. Events succeeded each other with precipitation. The parliamentary families, decimated, pursued, hunted down, were dispersed. Monsieur Charles Muriel emigrated to Italy at the very beginning of the revolution. There his wife died of a malady of the chest, from which she had long suffered. He had no children. What took place next in the fate of Monsieur Muriel? The ruin of the French society of the olden days the fall of his own family, the tragic spectacles of ninety-three, which were perhaps even more alarming to the emigrants who viewed them from a distance, with the magnifying powers of terror, did these cause the ideas of renunciation and solitude to germinate in him? Was he, in the midst of these distractions, these affections which absorbed his life, suddenly smitten with one of those mysterious and terrible blows which sometimes overwhelm, by striking to his heart, a man whom public catastrophes would not shake, by striking at his existence and his fortune? No one could have told. All that was known was that when he returned from Italy, he was a priest. In 1804, M. Muriel was the curé of Brignol. He was already advanced in years, and lived in a very retired manner. About the epoch of the coronation, some petty affair connected with his curacy, just what, it is not precisely known, took him to Paris. Among other powerful persons to whom he went to solicit aid for his parishioners was Monsieur le Cardinal Fesch. One day, when the Emperor had come to visit his uncle, the worthy curé, who was waiting in the anteroom, found himself present when His Majesty passed. Napoleon, on finding himself observed with a certain curiosity by this old man, turned round and said abruptly, Who is this good man who is staring at me? Sire, said Monsieur Muriel, you are looking at a good man, and I at a great man. Each of us can profit by it. That very evening the emperor asked the cardinal the name of the curé, and some time afterwards Monsieur Muriel was utterly astonished to learn that he had been appointed bishop of Digne. 
What truth was there, after all, in the stories which were invented as to the early portion of Monsieur Muriel's life? No one knew. Very few families had been acquainted with the Muriel family before the Revolution. Monsieur Muriel had to undergo the fate of every newcomer in a little town, where there are many mouths which talk and very few heads which think. He was obliged to undergo it, although he was a bishop, and because he was a bishop. But after all, the rumours with which his name was connected were rumours only. Noise, sayings, words, less than words, palabre, as the energetic language of the South expresses it. However that may be, after nine years of episcopal power and of residence in Digne, all the stories and subjects of conversation which engross petty towns and petty people at the outset had fallen into profound oblivion. No one would have dared to mention them. No one would have dared to recall them. Monsieur Muriel had arrived at Digne accompanied by an elderly spinster, Mademoiselle Baptistine, who was his sister, and ten years his junior. Their only domestic was a female servant of the same age as Mademoiselle Baptistine, and named Madame Magloire, who, after having been the servant of Monsieur le Curé, now assumed the double title of maid to Mademoiselle and housekeeper to Monseigneur. Mademoiselle Baptistine was a long, pale, thin, gentle creature. She realized the ideal expressed by the word respectable, for it seems that a woman must needs be a mother in order to be venerable. She had never been pretty. Her whole life, which had been nothing but a succession of holy deeds, had finally conferred upon her a sort of pallor and transparency, and as she advanced in years she had acquired what may be called the beauty of goodness. What had been leanness in her youth had become transparency in her maturity, and this diaphaneity allowed the angel to be seen. She was a soul rather than a virgin. Her person seemed made of a shadow. There was hardly sufficient body to provide for sex, a little matter enclosing a light, large eyes forever drooping, a mere pretext for a soul's remaining on the earth. Madame Magloire was a little, fat, white old woman, corpulent and bustling, always out of breath, in the first place because of her activity, and in the next because of her asthma. On his arrival, Monsieur Muriel was installed in the Episcopal Palace with the honours required by the Imperial Decrees, which class a bishop immediately after a major general. The mayor and the president paid the first call on him, and he in turn paid the first call on the general and the prefect. The installation over, the town waited to see its bishop at work. End of Book One, Chapter One